be shocked when I tell you this, and I am I am shocked by this. There is nothing tax implication wise for cryptocurrency right now, as far as staking goes. Hey guys, welcome back to the Podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. I'm joined by a really special guest. Laura Wilson is the founder of Wilson Tax Solutions. She has over 10 years of experience doing Canadian personal tax returns. She loves educating people on how the tax system works and how to maximize their personal tax returns. She grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, and started doing taxes from the age of 17. She stayed at that same office and worked her way up to become an office manager, and since then has actually moved to BC and started her own tax firm. She started her TikTok page at Wilson Tax Solutions as a way to share her passion with the world, and she had people contact her from all over Canada, and that's when she realized that she can actually support and help people from all over this great country. When she's not doing taxes, she loves to travel, and she has a goal of getting to 30 different countries before she turns 30. She loves Disney parks. She has a borderline unhealthy obsession with Frank's Red Hot Sauce, and her favorite color is pink. Let's jump into this episode. Laura, it's so exciting to have you here on the Miss Independent Podcast. Welcome. Uh, you just came back from Dubai, which is super yes. exciting. You're literally all over the world. So how how did you get here to where you're at in your career, where you can travel the world, work from anywhere, um, and walk us through your journey? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. First of all, thank you so much for having me on here. I've never done this before, and I'm super excited to um, kind of get to try this out as a podcaster. Um, but yeah, so basically when I started my journey, I was 17 years old. And I walked into a tax office the first time with my mom in the morning. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I did my taxes for the first time. And as the woman is walking me through the tax summary, I just asked her a thousand questions. Like, what is this? What is this? How come it's this? What is this percentage? Why is it this percentage? And just on and on, like literally for an hour. Uh, and then at the end of that, I fell asleep on her desk. I kid you not. Uh, well, my mom did her taxes. And then we go to pay for the return. And she asks me like, hey, do you want a job? And I'm like, there is no way. There's absolutely no way this woman just offered me a job. And I'm like, yes, yes, I do want a job. Please give me a job. So I started at that company for three months as a receptionist and learned basic tax, which is pretty quick to, to pick up. And then basically worked my way up for the next seven years in that same company to the point where I was managing that office and another office that they owned and uh, became like the senior tax preparer and just learned as much as I possibly could. I really, really enjoy tax. But I actually didn't realize I liked tax that much until I took about an eight month break. I worked in a medical clinic because uh, my degree is actually in kinesiology. And I realized I don't like this. I really miss tax. I miss working with people in the way that I do. I miss client relationships because our office, the medical office was very um, numbers focused, right? There wasn't a lot of like, I really love people. And so I love that part of the tax side and working with the numbers and helping people with that. So I quickly went back to that and um, yeah, moved to BC, managed an office there for two years. And then a friend kind of convinced me a lot of convincing to open my own business. And when I did that, I just decided that, yeah, this is what I'm going to do with my life now. No looking back. And that's kind of how I ended up here. And then with COVID, people are more used to going on Zoom calls and that sort of thing. So it was very easy to tell people, hey, this is what I do. I actually started locally. And then with TikTok, I started it more just for fun to help educate people about tax. And then people um, started reaching out to me. And at first I was like, no, 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 I can't help you. Um, and so that's when I transitioned everything over to Zoom and email. And now I can help you anywhere in the world uh, with your Canadian taxes. That's awesome. That's actually yeah, an incredible crazy. story. Like crazy how, how you started uh, by falling asleep on someone's desk, getting a job, spending seven years 
working for for this firm. So um, I would say a non-traditional route into tax from I have a lot of friends in accounting. So it's it's incredible to see what you've built and just like the way that the world's evolved. Definitely a lot of interesting things that we're going to get into in this episode. And um, I want to take in terms of complexity, like like if it's a dial, we're starting from level one and then we go to max towards the end. Yeah. And you mentioned um, about sharing information online and how you started the TikTok channel. Um, TikTok is awesome. It's like a great way to educate people. And mm-hmm. that's what I want to focus on for this episode because like tax advice is so nuanced. Definitely something that we want to be careful about. And we want to mm-hmm. focus more on like educating people and bringing information to people that they would spend months researching otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's one of the things I have three pillars in my business that are really important to me. And TikTok actually works so well with them. So one is I want tax to be fun. Two is I want it to be easy, like easy to understand. And three, I want it to be non-threatening because we don't learn this in school. And you're right. People will spend months or you'll get wrong information or so-and-so said this or XYZ blog said this or even other videos on TikTok might have wrong information. So I think it's really hard to find good quality stuff out there. Uh, and that's why I kind of do what I do. Yeah, definitely good. Good point there. It's hard to find good quality stuff. There's so many people that claim to be experts. So um, coming from an expert, I, I want to ask you if it's my first tax season, which mm-hmm. a lot of my listeners, maybe they're just starting out in their career, getting their, uh, their T4 for the first time. So let's say it's your first tax season. How do you prepare? Yeah. So what I recommend for everybody to do, and it sounds almost uh, too basic, is number one, get an email folder in your email, because a lot of receipts now are digital. And so what I do is I tell all my clients, just label it 2021 taxes or 2022 taxes. And then all the way through the year, whenever you get a digital receipt, put it in there, right? If you go to the eye doctor and they send you a digital copy, put it in there. Um, Or even now, if you didn't do that for the year, go through your email, you know, go back this past year. And anytime you have that digital receipt, pop it in there. And that's going to save you, you know, hopefully in the future, fishing through your email during that year, because the more receipts you have, the more you're going to keep. And then for hard copy receipts, especially now as T4s are coming out, as RRSP slips are coming out, and everything else is kind of coming in the mail, you don't want to lose anything. So what I tell people to do is get either a big manila envelope or get like even a Ziploc bag, put it in your drunk drawer, pin it on your corkboard, put it on your fridge. uh, And then anytime you get anything that's tax related, just pop it in there. And then that way, come tax time, you know, February or whatever, when you have all your stuff, you just pick up the envelope and you take it to your tax professional. Or, you know, you pick up the envelope, you sit down at your computer and you start doing it. And that way you have everything, you're not missing things. So those are the two things I really, really suggest to do. Um, and then kind of more advanced strategy would be looking at RRSPs and that sort of thing before um, the cutoff at March 1st. Really, really good plug there for the cutoff for RRSP deadline. Yes. Yeah, the way that I actually started this page, one of the things that I realized is like I was talking about RSP deadlines on my personal account and like posting about it. And then I was like, why don't I just bring this into a platform where I can solely focus on like this kind of information and remind people um, about deadlines like this? So really, really important there. But while we're talking about RSP specifically, how how can I work towards getting a high return? So what kind of things can I do um, to make uh, to get some money back from the government? <laughs> Yes. Okay. So there's actually quite a few things. I made a small list because um, I just wanted to make sure I could 
gave you guys the best information. I didn't forget anything. So what I would do is I would read up number one on what's new on Canada.ca. So if you're a new tax filer, this isn't going to be as important to you because you everything's new. It doesn't really matter what's new. Um, but if you are someone that's more advanced, you've done taxes for a while, I would highly recommend going to Canada.ca searching what's new for the 2021 tax season. There'll be a page posted usually beginning of February and it will run you through everything. The other thing you can do, even if you're a brand new, like newcomer to Canada, student, anyone filing for the first time, filing for the 50th time, doesn't matter. You wanna go to canada.ca. On there, you can type in the search bar for a list of deductions, credits, and expenses. And it will literally give you an entire list of every single thing you can claim, uh, which, don't be overwhelmed. But what I would recommend doing is going on there and just skimming through it and seeing, does any of this sound like me? You know, oh, I can claim childcare. I didn't know that. Oh, I can claim my student loan interest. I didn't know that. Oh, I can claim, you know, working from home. Oh, that's great. I had to work from home because of COVID and all of those different things. So I would highly recommend that you go through and see what you qualify for um, or even just get an idea because a lot of people just don't know. Like I said, we're not taught this in school. Mm-hmm. There's so many new things, especially with the work from home benefits. Mm-hmm. I had to dig through information last year to figure out exactly what I could claim, whether I was going the simple route or like more advanced and claiming it per inch or per square mm-hmm. foot on my on my place. So a lot of different things you can look at there. There's another thing that I actually just remembered. So I was looking at your TikTok the other day and I found the charity donations TikTok about wedding planning. And I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm getting married uh, next year, probably. So I don't know what it is about TikTok and promoting engagement and wedding related content, but like I had a video that just popped off because of that too. So um, can you speak to that a little bit? Because our audience, mainly it's, it's women. A lot of people might be going through similar stages. So walk us through what the strategy is there. Yeah, for sure. So basically what I'm talking about in this wedding video is gifts in kind. So if you don't know, with when we have donations, we can donate kind of two ways. We can give a financial monetary donation. So we give money. Or we can give a gift in kind. So we give an item and then the value of the item is assessed and you get a donation slip back for basically what the value uh, of that item would be if the company or the, the charity were to get it. So there's a couple different things that you need to consider and you need to follow when you're going to give a gift in kind. It's actually very important. Number one, you need to go see a registered charity. It can't just be a not-for-profit. It can't just be your friend. It can't just be whatever. It needs to be a Canadian registered charity. Okay, if you skip this part, everything else is going to be in vain. Number two, when you give a gift in kind, you need to keep the receipt. And I know everyone's like, oh, yeah, Dalor, you always have to keep the receipt with taxes, but it's super important. Then there's going to be some legwork, especially if you're going to have um, a wedding event or things like that. You're going to have to do some legwork. I would recommend reaching out to a lot of different uh, registered charities and let them know the items that you're looking to donate. You know, oh, I'm going to have all of these fresh flowers. I'm looking to donate these. Oh, I'm going to be having, you know, my wedding dress or XYZ items for attire that I'm looking to donate, or I'm going to have, you know, potentially extra food platters afterwards. You know, are you guys looking to take something like that? Uh, and then you basically find people that are looking to take what you want, which again, does take some legwork. Um, and the best kind of people that I have found to find are charities that are having events around your date, because they're going to need things like decor, they're going to need things like flowers, they're going to need things like food, that sort of thing. So I would do that. And then you give them a receipt to let them know, you know, the value of those items. So the flowers are this much money, this is how much I paid for them. And then they can give you back a donation slip up to the value of what you paid for it. Now, does that mean that they're going to give you a donation slip for the full thing? No, not necessarily, Um, but it can be up to that value. So yeah, a couple things to make sure that you're following with the registered charities and with making sure you keep the receipts um, 
that's kind of how you do it. So big, big lesson, big theme over the past couple of segments that we went into. Keep your receipts. Always. Keep your receipts, please. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely needed to learn that lesson because I am not always somebody who keeps their receipts. So a quick mental note for myself there. But I do want to circle back to Dubai for a second because I think it's incredible that you travel the world and you can run your business from anywhere. And I'm super inspired by that because that's something that I eventually want to do. So um, I always used to think that like tax accounts and, and maybe this is like um, a stereotype and something that people think as well, where it's like the typical like Angela or Oscar archetype, right? So somebody... Mm-hmm. You know, the the idea that tax accounts are boring is like something that's embedded into um, into like culture almost. I'm really happy that you're breaking that mold and clearly not the case here. Right. So walk, walk me through how you became location independent. And like if if I wanted to do that or one of our listeners also wanted to travel the world and work abroad, what are the most important pillars and things that they need to know? Yeah, for sure. So number one, I think every single day, I'm pretty emotional, okay? I get very, very excited about things. That's why I love working with people because I literally love talking to them. But every single day, I'm like shocked and grateful this is my life. And not a day goes by that I'm like, take it for granted. I just think like, this is incredible. Number one, I can't believe that people trust me with their stuff. Like that to me is never lost on me. That someone is literally trusting me with a huge part of their life, their finances. Uh, And then I get to go and live this crazy, like crazy, crazy life. Like, how is this my life? Um, so yeah, kind of how that all happened was when I started my business, originally I thought brick and mortar, right? You're going to have a a location business. And that's how I started. And I literally was like, how am I going to get clients? I'm going to put up flyers in the, in the co-op gas station and in the co-op grocery store locally in town. And I'm going to get like lawn signs. And that was my plan. And never did I think that TikTok would take off or that people would reach out to me. And that's why initially I kind of turned them down. And then when it started happening more and more, and it's people all over Canada, like I have clients in every single province and territory, except none of it. So if you're in none of it and you need your taxes, let me know. Um, <laughs> but now I have all these people reaching out to me and I realized I can do this. And with the pandemic and of course, people not being local, I had to switch to Zoom. I had to switch to email. And I can do everything over. So I had to, you know, of course, talk to Revenue Canada, make sure everything was legitimate, make sure everything was was able to be done this way. And so there are definitely regulations that I have to follow in order to do someone's taxes virtually. Um, but really, it's a small, small thing to, to get around with licensing when I can work and live anywhere in the world. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And that's kind of how it happened. And then as far as, you know, traveling abroad and, and working and running a business when you're switching time zones all the time, that is the most important thing is time zones. And I have a little bit um, of practice in it because of course in Canada, I'm working with all different time zones, but it's even more magnified when you're you know, in the Middle East and I'm literally 12 hours different from Dubai to Vancouver, um, right? So you have to yeah. do a lot of mental calculation. Um, and I'm like, you know, even in Europe, Europe's actually pretty good because between Europe and Canada, you can kind of start working at like 2 p.m. and then, you know, finish around midnight and you're good. Um, But yeah, definitely you need to recognize time zones and make sure you're working within those. And it's not always convenient. And you're going to be up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 3 a.m., 2 a.m., you know, but that's, again, a small price to pay for being able to go and live my dream. Um, For anyone that's that's looking at it, that is thinking about time zones and that sort of thing, I would also see if you're looking to like, how can I get into digital nomad? How can I, whatever. I always tell people, look at digital courses. Like it's such an untapped industry and it's becoming more popular now. Um, but if you have a skill set in something, look at creating a digital course because now you can live and work from anywhere 
And most things, you know, even if you're a hairdresser, you can put out a digital course, even if you're, you know, whatever, you can put out a digital course and, you know, hopefully grow it to the point where you can, you know, live and work from anywhere. Awesome. I, I want to dive into that a little bit more. So if, if somebody, for example, is working for an employer and they wanted to mm-hmm. work abroad, what are the implications for them? Or um, I think if you're running a business, it's a little bit easier because if you your business is filed in Canada, you're paying taxes in Canada, it doesn't really matter where you're actually located. But if you're working for somebody, how how can somebody make that transition happen? As far as like if you're a resident versus non-resident taxes in Canada? Yes, exactly. Okay, so there's different ways to figure out if you're a resident or a non-resident. For example, me as Canadian citizen, if I worked for a Canadian company, but I maybe worked virtually and I lived in Luxembourg or Liechtenstein or Germany or somewhere like that, I still file taxes to Canada because I'm still considered a Canadian resident. So you have to look at your residency ties. So number one, you know, do I have a bank account in Canada? Do I have significant um, ties either with a house? Does my family live here? Are my kids here? Is my husband or wife here? My spouse here? All of these different things are factors that we use to determine, am I still a resident of Canada that's just living abroad right now? Or am I now no longer a resident of Canada and I am a resident of this country? So in Canada, there's actually, we don't legally have to file our taxes every year, depending on your situation. So if you're a non-resident, um, you may not have to file. If you're still lost and confused and you're like, am I a resident? Am I not? There's a form and we can link it in the show notes, I'm sure, um, that you can go to. It's an NR something form. I can't remember off the top of my head. And you basically fill this out and you submit it to the government and they will determine based on how you fill that out, if you're a resident or if you're a non-resident. And that's going to determine how you file your taxes. Awesome. I want to turn up the dial a little bit that I talked Mm -hmm. about early on. So I want to talk about investing and um, crypto investing as well. Mm -hmm. So specifically with gains in the eyes of the government, what makes an investment realized? And there's a couple of different pieces that I want to dive into. So we can talk about equities. We can talk about crypto. We can talk about staking and mining crypto as well. So Mm -hmm. a lot of different pieces we'll move through. And then when we get to staking as well, I want to just bring in a little bit of some understanding for people that might've missed my episode on crypto in 2022, because things have definitely changed. So let's, let's start with equities first. Yeah. So with a capital gain, anytime that you have an asset, so whether that's a stock, whether that's a home or that sort of thing, and you sell it and there is a gain. So maybe you purchased it for a hundred dollars and you sell it for $200. You have made a hundred dollars worth of profit. In Canada, half of your gains are taxable. So $50 of that $100 is now going to be taxable and we report it as taxable income on our return. So very important when you are um, purchasing different shares, equity, things like that, you need to make sure that you keep the purchase price. So you keep the adjusted cost base of how much that uh, was on the date that you received it because you're going to use that to subtract from how much your gain was. If you don't have that number, the entire gain, so in my example of $100 made turned into two hundred dollars and it made a hundred dollars worth of profit if i don't have that first hundred dollar number now i have two hundred dollars of profit and my gain uh, on my taxes is now going to be a hundred dollars which with a hundred to fifty dollars isn't a huge deal when we're talking about thousands or multiple thousands it really adds up and it's not going to be pretty so you definitely want to make sure you keep that right uh and then the other thing that we can do 
is use capital losses to offset capital gains in Canada. I love tax loss harvesting. It's one of my favorite things to do at the end of the year, just to reassess and uh, see where I can can save some money. So I, I talk about that separately. I want to move a little bit more into crypto specifically because I've had actually some followers reach out and they were like, Nika, you've talked about crypto quite a bit this year, but what about the tax implications? So crypto is a little bit different, right? Where mm-hmm. with a stock, you sell stock, you make a capital gain. But with crypto, where what's considered a taxable event with uh, cryptocurrency? I love this question. Cryptocurrency is so new that a lot of people don't know. And even the government doesn't have a lot of regulations around this yet because it's just so new. They don't know what to do with it yet. So when I have cryptocurrency, whatever type of crypto it is, in a digital wallet, there are no tax implications. It's the same thing if I'm just holding Apple or Tesla stock or Disney stock or whoever's stock, right? There are four different transactions that occur, and those are the ones that become taxable events that I need to record and report on my taxes. Number one is when I um, sell or trade or um, gift cryptocurrency, okay? So if I'm getting rid of the crypto, obviously, just like if I was getting rid of a regular stock, that is going to be a taxable event, and I report that on my taxes. And it's reported the same way that any other type of capital gain is. Half of your gain is going to be uh, taxable. Half of your loss is going to be credited back to you to be offset against uh, capital gains. The second type is going to be when I convert one type of cryptocurrency into another, which gets very annoying, especially if you're very active in crypto uh, ecosystems, because you're constantly, you know, maybe selling uh, Bitcoin to Ethereum to you know, even Dogecoin potentially, right? So you really need to make sure you're keeping track of all those things. Have an Excel spreadsheet, even you know, have a notebook, uh, but have something keeping track of what you're selling, the price dates, and then the value of what you're selling in Canadian dollars on those dates. That's very, very important. And if you forget to assess the value in Canadian dollars, there's lots of websites and places you can track that down. The third event is going to be... Sorry, Laura, before we go into the third question, um, at what point do you track the Canadian equivalent? Because crypto fluctuates so much, it's so volatile. So do you track it at the point where you made that um, that event? Like if you're switching, let's say, a stable coin, which is, like tracks the U.S. dollar or, or different types of fiat currencies, if you were to trade that into, let's say, Bitcoin, at what point uh, do you make that conversion? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that Revenue Canada has approved to do this. One of them is, a, is called the barter method. And it's quite complicated, so I don't really want to get into all the nuances here. Um, and then another method of doing it is to see, okay, on the date that I made this sale at this time, what is the value? Whether you choose the barter method, whether you choose that method, I mean, that method is usually easier. Um, so I'd recommend if it was me personally, that's what I would do just to save myself the headache. Um, just make sure it's consistent. So you can't use the barter method for these transactions. And, you know, the price on the date that you sold it on these uh, transactions, it has to be consistent. So that's that's what I would do. Okay, perfect. Um, the the movement piece trading currencies is is going to have huge tax implications for a lot of different people. And I think one of the key things um, is that a lot of wallets right now, a lot of the exchanges have a concept called KYC, which is know your customer. So if you're reporting your information, if you're if you sign up to that exchange and you're putting in your driver's license, um, your address, the CRA knows that you own that wallet. So they can associate any type of gains and losses with you specifically. So I think it's really important for people to know that the CRA is, is kind of like big brother. They, yeah. they are watching, they know what's going on. So it's always better to report than to not report and then be audited later. 
Definitely. And the thing is, right now, crypto is kind of like the wild, wild west. I say this all the time. I go live on TikTok uh, twice a week. I say this all the time when people ask me about this. Right now, you can probably get away with it. But here, I can go back up to seven years to look and review and adjust and audit old returns. So in seven years, we have no idea what this is going to look like. We have no idea what the technology is going to look like. And I always tell people, I'm like, you're probably not smarter than a CRA. They probably have more resources and more professionals than you do. So it's better to just be honest uh, now versus seven years from now, get bitten by this and then have all these fines, all these penalties, you know, be just a lot of headache. You don't need that. Just you're like, better to be honest, take the, you know, the hit now and just save yourself in the future for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to those other transactions, if, if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Um, the third one is going to be when I convert cryptocurrency into a, a federal government currency. So if I convert crypto into USDT, or if I convert it into Australian dollars, into British pounds, uh, Canadian dollars, all of those are going to be seen as a taxable event. And the last event is when I use my crypto to purchase something. Right, because cryptocurrency is seen as a, a valid currency for a lot of different things. You can even buy homes now with cryptocurrency. I was seeing that the other day in Bali. It's crazy. It is so crazy. Yeah, I actually just bought a hat. So I'm working with the hat maker. He's making a custom hat for me, and it's mm-hmm. going to have an NFT associated with the hat that I can wear in the metaverse. But it's like a physical hat too that I get to wear. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you a photo so of it after. Crazy to me. Yeah, and I paid for it in Ethereum, so the gas fees were a little bit annoying. But like, just the whole concept of that is is incredible, and like, I love hats; it's my thing. So I, I'm so excited to see where this goes. But the fact that um, I have to now pay and declare taxes on the that transaction is not mm-hmm. something that I initially thought about. So definitely important important to note if you're buying hats with Ethereum. <laughs> you're buying hats yeah. No, and, and the important thing to note there is that it's not going to be the full price that you purchased for that hat, right? It's going to be the purchase price that you first paid for the Ethereum. And then it's going to be the difference of whatever the, the value in Canadian dollars was when you purchased the hat. And then half of that is going to be taxable. So awesome. it's better than saying, oh, I bought this hat for 200, you know, Bitcoin or not 200 Bitcoin, but you yeah, know, whatever. That's an expensive hat. An expensive hat. That, is, that better be... Yeah, made of stardust or something. Yeah, yeah, or diamonds um, or something. Yeah, but that's what it would look like. So it's a little bit better than maybe having a year to have this massive tax event that you have to claim. That's a really, really important distinction. So mm-hmm. let's just recap those four different events. So we said gifting, uh, exchanging crypto, one crypto for another crypto, mm-hmm. selling into or basically um, converting crypto into a fiat currency. And then the last one, which was paying for goods or services with crypto. Mm-hmm. And then also anytime that you sell like cryptocurrency, so gifting or selling crypto is considered the same event with in the eyes of Revenue Canada. So both of those are going to be taxable events. Basically, when it's leaving your digital wallet or when you're converting from one type of crypto to another, those are going to be your your events. Okay, some really really important distinctions for people, and I think that is is so important for people to know because more and more people are getting into crypto and think that because it's still the wild west that they can get away with um, not claiming taxes. And I think it's it's going to get more and more difficult over the years. But there's a couple of other um, points with crypto that I want to get into before we close out. Um, staking specifically. So staking for anyone that doesn't fully, fully know or maybe missed the crypto uh, in 2020 episode, it's locking your your crypto tokens into a liquidity pool and then earning interest on it. So for, for locking it in, you get a return. And the best way to understand it is like, you have a swimming pool, like a literal swimming pool, 
with a lock on it. So like a front cover and that swimming pool water is used to fund a city, let's say. So like all that water is draining into some sort of infrastructure and you get to choose to contribute some of your home water into this big swimming pool of water that funds the city. So a nice little analogy for, for crypto staking. But um, I personally, I have crypto that I stake. So what are the tax implications of that? Because you are earning interest and a return. Yeah, definitely. And you're going to be shocked when I tell you this. And I am, I am shocked by this. There is nothing tax implication wise for cryptocurrency right now, as far as staking goes. There is nothing. Like Revenue Canada has no anything. There's, there's nothing to report on your taxes. There's no um, documentation about it. There's no articles you can find on Canada.ca. There's nothing at all. What I think is going to happen in the future is it's going to turn into what mining is right now and how they deal with mining. But at the moment, there's nothing to report for staking, which is a huge tax advantage and a huge advantage in general, right? Like, that's incredible. What do you mean? I get all of this, like, quote unquote, free money, basically, mm -hmm. you know, if it turns out to be um, a valid blockchain. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy that, again, it just shows you how new this is. And Revenue Canada doesn't know what to do with it. That's that's incredible. I actually didn't know that, Laura. That blew my mind. <laughs> So it's awesome to know the fact that any staking returns I get are tax tax free, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Okay. You, you spoke about mining as well. Mining is something mm -hmm. that I want to get into because I mine helium. So I spoke about this to my listeners and they, they were curious and I want to be transparent and like give them an update as well of how it's going. So mining helium, not going that well. I haven't recouped my initial investment yet. Um, the, the ones in Toronto specifically, because it's such a dense area and there's a lot of people that mine helium in my in my region uh, or location, it's not that profitable, but the rural locations are actually performing quite well. Um, so hopefully I'm going to recoup that investment fairly soon. But how, how am I going to report mining income on my return? Okay, so mining income is going to either be reported uh, as business income or not reported at all. So with tax, I think people think there's all these black and white rules, but tax is actually very, very gray. Um, so really, it deter you're determining whether this is going to be reported as a hobby or as a business. So as a hobby, it's done for fun. As a business, there's a couple different uh, qualifications that qualify you as a business. Number one, um, am I conducting this in a business-like fashion, right? Number two, is this uh, activity, is there a reasonable expectation for profit? Okay, now with mining, of course, you're doing it to make money, of course. But your income might be so low that you just have a, you know, a miner plugged in and and it's going off and it's like, you know, $20, $30, $40 a month. Revenue Canada is going to consider that still most likely a hobby um, versus when you have actively, you know, 20 of these and you were checking everything. And of course, that's going to be more of a business nature. So it's really the spirit of what you're doing things in. You need to ask yourself that. Now, with Revenue Canada, they have a lot of power, as we know, um, not quite as bad as the IRS, but still. And they can determine based on your income and based on the nature of things they can basically arbitrarily decide if you have a hobby or a business. Now, if they decide that you have a business and you need to report your business income, don't freak out. No big deal. You can still go back and um, ask for them to reassess it, basically, and, and put in um, a claim against it. But they can do that. So that does happen. And now, again, if it's a hobby, there's nothing that you need to report in your taxes. If it is a business, then any income you're going to report on a 2125, a T2125, just like any other self-employment income, and then you will be able to claim expenses against that. So a lot of those expenses are going to be your home office expenses, right? Your electricity is going to be a huge one. Um, you know, if you're paying for the machine, you can depreciate that over multiple years, that sort of thing. 
So a lot of really great points in there, especially about Wi-Fi. Like my miner is plugged in. It uses Wi-Fi, uses electricity, and it has, I mean, it's it's like this size, right? So not a whole lot of uh, square footage in my home, but a lot of uh, interesting things there. I would probably go the hobby route because of the earnings. Like I mentioned, it still hasn't recouped its initial investment. It's like peanuts in terms of what's out there. And I don't have like a massive operation with 20. Yeah. Right. So um, really, really important to know. But crypto is, is definitely like the wild west. Like there are so many things that are changing. The evolution of it is just incredible to see. So I'm excited to see where it goes. And I feel like the CRA is always a little bit behind. So the fact that staking is not yet a taxable event is incredible um, and a huge mm-hmm. hack. But outside of that, are there any other hacks or like anything else that you want to share with our audience today? Yeah, for sure. So um, a lot of what people ask me sometimes is actually with mining, even if it's a hobby, you have these coins now in your wallet and you want to use them, right? You either want to switch them from one currency to another, or you want to gift them to someone or sell them, or you want to use them to purchase something or whatever you want to do with them. Now this is a taxable event. As soon as they leave my wallet, but how do I report this on my taxes? Because I got these, quote unquote, for free. So what do I do? Um, so actually, I wrote an ebook last year that covers all of this. Um, and in there, there's a section, of course, on cryptocurrency and mining. And so I pulled it up just to read it out there because it's going to be the best explanation that I have for you. Um, so it says, if you mine as a hobby, you don't need to claim the income for mining. This amount will be your cost or your book value when you make a transaction with your cryptocurrency. So when you make a transaction with your cryptocurrency in the future, you're going to find the Canadian value on that day, the Canadian dollar value on that day. And you're going to go back to when you mined that cryptocurrency initially and find out, okay, for the amount that I mined, what was the value on this date um, in Canadian dollars? And that's what you're going to use to subtract from your gain. So that's going to be your almost like your purchase price. So that's how you would do that if you're mining. Laura, that was incredible. I feel like we've got so much in that episode, so much content. Um, so I'm really excited to share this with uh, with the world. But if somebody wants to connect with you, where can they find you? We'll definitely link your ebook in the show notes as well. But how can someone connect with you? Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of different ways to get in touch with me. You can um, send me an email. So my email is wilsontaxsolutions at gmail.com. You can go to my website. I have a contact form on there. You can book online for a tax appointment on there. So if you want to see, can I work with her? Can I get a quote? That's your best option. So wilsontaxsolutions.com and you're going to find everything on there. You can direct message me on Instagram. My handle is at wilsontaxsolutions. And then of course I have my TikTok page, which is at wilsontaxsolutions. Wilson is spelled W-I-L-S-O-N, like Wilson Sports. So definitely easy for you guys to remember. But this was an awesome episode. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, for sharing all your wisdom with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope it's helpful. And this is really what I love. I love to act and I love helping people with it and explaining it to them. So thank you so much for you to let me do that. Ciao, guys.